0: Tonight I'm just going to get right into it. We're going to do part two. Who was not here last week? Anybody not here last week? Oh, I'm sorry. We started. <laughs> you missed it. No. <laughs> uh, we did a lesson called "When God Came Down," and we talked about how when God comes down, He comes down with a purpose. And we gave some examples from the Book of Genesis and the Book of Exodus of different times when God came down and. We talked how he's really getting ready to come down again in a major way. And um, I kind of want to talk about, you know how a coin has two sides? It has heads, it has tails. And they're similar in the, in the fact that they belong on the same coin. But the head side and the tail side are completely different design. They have a completely different purpose. They show completely different things. But it's the same coin. So we're going to talk about side two tonight. When God Came Down, Part 2, it's the second side of the coin. And I'm going to have you go ahead and open up, if you would, to Luke, Chapter 15. We're going to start here. And we're just going to see tonight a different purpose and a different time and a different way um, that God came down. He's so amazing. So last week we started with that God comes down for a purpose. And we talked about um, actually crying out and praying for the victimizer how they need the presence of God, how nobody's standing in the gap for them, how they will not cry out for themselves, and so they need someone to cry out for them. And it's just such a cool peek into the heart of God to see that he loves so much where we would never love physically or in our natural minds. We could never love these people without the love of God in our hearts. And I just think it's so cool how he opens up his heart and he shows us different facets and sides of his love. And he's just such an amazing God. So we talked about that last week. And we talked about halloo, the cry, the desperate cry for help. And the desperate cry, and that that's what God responds to. And that that was when God came down in those circumstances when they were crying out for help. When Moses was crying out to him, Show me your glory. And so we talked about crying out and God coming down in response to that cry. But there are times when God comes down and he initiates the action. He doesn't come down in a response to anything. And God comes down and he initiates fellowship and he initiates this, this action. And so we're going to look in a little bit at this tonight, but we're going to start in the prodigal son. And we've read this, I've read it, I don't know how many times, and every time I look at it, I think, wow, look how much God loves the, the unsaved one. Look how much God loves that backslidden one. Look how much God loves the one that isn't walking with him. He's looking for him, and he's reaching out for him, but that's not who I want to look at tonight. I really want to look at the brother. So are you ready? Let's look at the brother. It said, there was a man, verse 11, who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father said to him, or the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on, and bring a ring and put To put on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast, a celebration. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it's such a poignant story, really, of the heart of the father. But the father has two sons, right? So let's look at the brother. Because last week we looked at the victimizer. Really, we looked at the prodigal. And um, not that anybody, well, when I asked, you know, who needs life? And then some people said, well, we all need life. And it was almost like this reaction, like, yeah, God's going to pour out of his spirit, but I want to get that for myself too. So we want to make sure that we look at both sides of this coin because God's not going to pour one thing out for one that he's not going to give to another. Because, you know, we need this outpouring of God, not just that these people need life. They need CPR, you know. The breathing people, the the ones with breath in their lungs, we don't need CPR. It's the ones that are about to die that they need CPR. So they need this great outpouring of God. But we see the brother here, and I think it probably broke his father's heart because he's pleading with him. Come on, your brother's alive. Get a little happy here. Let's celebrate your brother's life. And all the son could think of was everything that the brother did wrong and everything he did right, and it was this huge insecure reaction. He was threatened by the brother. He's going to take what's mine. He's already taken what's his. He's going to take what's mine, and he's got this selfish, selfish, selfish viewpoint. And we want to first look at the brother and say, we don't want to be like that, okay? When, these, when this outpouring comes and these new people come in and these victimizers are starting to come in and these not so pretty people are coming in and the that people who are addicted to drugs come in because they need to get set free and these people that need love come in, we want to make sure we're not like the brother. Well, I don't want to sit by them and I don't want to stand. I don't want my kids to be around all that. And how is this going to affect me and how is this going to change church? We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the brother. And so I think God put this in here so we can have a little warning. In life is not all about you. I love you. I love you. Because he goes on, and what does he say? My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Like, duh, all you had to do was ask. I'd have given it to you. You could have had it any you want. Everything I have is yours. And so this is the side of the coin that I want to look at tonight when God came down. Go to Genesis chapter 15. It's so exciting. He is so amazing. His love is so, so sweet. Genesis chapter 15. And again, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. But that's where he reveals himself to us, amen? So we want to focus on that. Everything I have is yours. You're, I'm always with you. And I, I want to look at it in this respect. I love worship. I love corporate worship. I love coming to church. My kids love coming to church. There's just something about the corporate anointing, something that happens when we all gather together and worship God, where that corporate anointing is so strong and it's so powerful and it's, it's amazing and it's refreshing and it's life-giving and there's just something about it. Does anybody else notice a difference when you come together than when you're alone? But if the only time that you're ever experiencing the presence of God, that outpouring of God, that grace of God, that love of God is when you come to church on Sunday morning or come to church on Wednesday night, then you're missing out. Because God wants to say to us tonight, I am always, you're always with me everything I have is yours. We don't have to wait for that outpouring. And I was thinking about it, and I thought about it like this. Um, I love weddings. How many women love to go to weddings, cry at weddings? Just it's the sweetest thing ever. You have the bride, you have the groom, and they're just committing their lives to each other. And, and the, everybody's participating, everybody's watching, and then you go to the reception and it's a huge party and they're all partying together and celebrating together and eating their meal together and, and just thanking you for coming and you're celebrating the new life that this couple is about to, to embark on. But is the, is the wedding ceremony or is the wedding reception for this bride and groom the most intimate part of the day? No. When is the most intimate part of the day? when all the guests are gone, and when they go behind closed doors, and it's just the two of them. And if this is the only time you're coming into the presence of God, or having that touch of God, which is good, it's a good thing, but if this is it, then you're just really missing out on the most intimate part of the Father, that you could have have contact with and so I really want to look at that tonight how he paved the way for this and when he came down to make this happen so in Genesis 15 God comes down well actually the first the first time he talks about this is in a vision so it says after this the word of the Lord came to Abraham or Abram in a vision do not be afraid Abram I am your shield your very great reward And Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And they go on and have this discussion about him having kids, and that's when God gives him that promise, you will bear a son. And if you skip down to um, verse 8, it says Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it, the promises? And it says in verse 9, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, if we said to the Lord, how am I going to know that what you say is going to come to pass? And if he looked at us and said, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, three years old, and a dove and a young pigeon, we wouldn't say hot diggity dog. We'd go, what in the world are you talking about? But Abraham knew exactly what God was talking about here. So Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You know, this is just a side thought here. But this was way before the children of Israel ever moved to Egypt. And sometimes we go through hard times and think, is this the will of God? How could this possibly be the will of God? But he not only knew it was going to happen, he said it was going to happen. He was watching the whole time. He knew it the whole time. So sometimes we go through hard things, and we just want to run away. Oh, this is too hard. This cannot be God. I'm going to run away. This marriage is too hard. It can't be God. I'm going to just run away. This relationship is too hard. It can't be God. I'm just going to run away. But sometimes he just wants to walk you through it, okay? So anyway, but I will punish the nation. Verse 15, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. That was the Spirit of God. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land. And he talked about what land he was giving them. So we see here God coming down for a purpose. Go to chapter 17. This was when he was 86 years old, I think. And then chapter 16 is just him making, you know, and Sarah having no wisdom at all. And then Ishmael is born. And then 13 years later, in chapter 17, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make a covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, Where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, and this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. And it goes on, and he talks about Sarah, Sarai changing her name to Sarah, saying she will have a son, because they tried to make it happen themselves, but that wasn't God's plan. God still had a plan. He still had his plan for Isaac. And so he speaks that forth as he comes down. And then the end of the chapter, it says, verse 22, this was after he was all finished promising Isaac, When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So we have God coming down to Abraham twice, once in a vision, once face to face. He came down and spoke to him. And the purpose of it was covenant. And this is what I want to talk about tonight. And, Father, help me stay focused because this is such a broad, broad subject. You could go for weeks on the power of the blood and the power of the covenant. So we're going to just do a quick overview and see what this has to do with us. Because this is something that we want to look at because God came down for this very purpose. And the whole purpose of God cutting this covenant with Abraham, with the animals, and with the circumcision was fellowship. That's the whole purpose God made man was fellowship. He wanted relationship. He wanted relationship with us, intimate relationship. Not just corporate relationship, intimate relationship. So last week we looked at kind of the corporateness of it and how he's going to come down and rescue these people, and it's going to be a big corporate move of God. But now let's talk about it one-on-one. So let's talk a little bit about what a covenant is. Covenants, and we don't have such a, a strong grasp on them now. Maybe marriage is probably the strongest thing we have to a covenant in, in this age. But like I said to Abraham, when God said, Bring me a ram... He knew exactly what he was talking about. Hot diggity dog, this is binding. <laughs> and a covenant was really binding. It's where a strong person and a weak person made a deal and cut a covenant and came into unity so that they could work together. And usually one side needed the other side, maybe just a little bit more. But there were several different aspects to a covenant. And the first one is that it was sealed with blood. And when I studied this, it was kind of nasty because the way that they used to do this is gross. Like one, one way they did it was they would both, you know, cut their wrists and they would suck each other's blood. Isn't that pleasant? Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? And then another way that they did it was that they would cut animals and walk between the pieces through the blood. Another way they did it was they would cut their arm and let it drip into a glass of wine, and then they would drink the wine. Another nasty way to cut a covenant. They would cut their arms and clasps so that the blood would mingle, and the whole idea was the pouring out and the mixing of this blood. They were becoming one, and it was a very binding thing. It was a very solemn occasion. It was a very serious thing, and you know, if you broke covenant, it was punishable by death. So you, it was really like till death do us part. <laughs> it's not like these days when, you know, oh, you know, we don't get along anymore. Let's just call it quits and try somebody else on. So which, you know, we're all at different places and we're all growing. But, you know, this was a very, very, very serious thing. So they sealed it with blood and they exchanged articles. Like they would take something that was very precious to them. If you and I were cutting the covenant, I would take something precious to me that I owned give it to you, and you would do the same. So we would exchange articles. So then I would own something of hers. And they would exchange names. One would take the other's name. And then they would set the terms of the covenant. And that's what you had to abide by. And here he's telling Abraham, you have to be circumcised. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. You have to do this. And so they would set the terms of the covenant. And afterwards, they would all eat a meal to celebrate. And it's kind of, you can see kind of these parts in a wedding. Because, you know, it's sealed with blood if it goes the way it should go. You exchange articles. The rings are ch- exchanged. Um, you exchange names. Although when, I, when Michael and I got married, I had a really, really, really cool maiden name. And I kind of wanted to keep it. <laughs> My maiden name was Broadway, and so nobody ever mispronounced it. Nobody ever misspelled it. It was with a B. I was at the beginning of the lines all the time. His is Lagaris, and I don't, there are so many different ways it's been pronounced. And my grandmother actually tried to, to ask me to get him to change his name because <laughs> the Broadways were dying out, and the Lagaris's were going strong. So. <laughs> so, but we, you know, in a wedding, you exchange names, the bride takes the husband's name. You set the terms, I will honor you, I will cherish you, I will love you, I will respect you, I commit my life to you, you're setting the terms. And then you have a huge meal to celebrate. It's the best part of a wedding. So, um, but in essence, when God's cutting a covenant with Abraham, or when these people were coming into covenant with each other, what there really boils down to is that God was saying to Abraham, everything I have, And everything I am belongs to you. And that kind of reminded me of that when I was reading the prodigal son. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. And it goes for his presence most of all. Because that's why he cut the covenant. He wanted to be able to come into fellowship with Abraham. And so if we're waiting for a corporate thing... The corporate is good, and i love to come and have that corporate anointing, but you don't have to wait. Everything he has, everything he is already currently belongs to, to us because of coming so because now I'm getting ahead of myself. So he told Abraham, everything I have and everything I am is yours. And what is he? Jehovah Rapha, he is healer. Jehovah Jireh, he is provider. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu, he is peace, he is joy. There is nothing that you need outside of him, right? What did he say to Abraham in chapter 15? I am your shield, and I am your exceeding great reward. And so then if you skip over to 22, which I'm not going to read it, but if you skip over to chapter 22 in Genesis, it's where God comes to him and says, I want Isaac. You know that son I promised you 13, 15 years ago? Yeah, you got to give him back to me now. Am I really enough? And, you know, I've heard this taught so many different ways, and so many people say, well, all oh, this was a test of his faith. Well, it was not a test of his faith. It was by faith that he passed this test, but this was a test of his commitment to his covenant with God. By faith, he passed it. But God was testing, are you committed to this covenant? And so, you know, that's why in Hebrews it said that, I mean, Abraham was going through with it. I mean, me, I'd have been going, really? I'm going to go to jail. That's murder. (laughs) You really want me to do what? I, that's get behind me, Satan. That's not you, God. But God's saying, give me the blessing. I am your reward. Am I enough? And so we could go on and on there. (laughs) You don't want Just the blessing, what you want is to follow the blessing back to the blesser. Because everything that we need is already encompassed in him. He is our shield. He is our reward. He is everything that we need. So he went ahead and he took Isaac and they went up and he laid him down. He was ready. He had the knife. He's ready to, to go after it and kill him. And God stopped him. He said, now I can see you are committed to this covenant. And that's when he could go ahead and use him to be the father of all the nations. And then all, you know, goes on from there. But covenant is a very serious and it's a very binding thing. And, and God did not come into covenant. That word is just covenant, covenant. He did not come into covenant with Abraham for his own sake. God always intended to keep his word. He didn't have to cut a covenant with Abraham to know, oh, now I have to keep my word. God was always going to keep his word. He did that for Abraham, so he had something to connect to here on earth and say, wow, this is binding. Wow, I can trust him because he knows we're human. We'll get into that in a minute. And so he came down to cut this covenant with Abraham because he wanted fellowship and he wanted relationship. And so then we move on into the New Testament. We see God coming down again for the same purpose, right? Right? Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to reveal to us the Father and to cut a covenant for us with God. He came because we needed that blood to cover us. We didn't just need it. God needed it. He's up in heaven all these years going, I want my man I want to touch them. I want to get down in them. I want to be upon them. I really want to be with them. I want to walk with them every minute of every day, and I can't touch them because of my holiness, because they're sin. And so he needed something to cover that sin, so Jesus came down, and he hung on that cross, and when he did that, the Bible says he became the propitiation for our sin. And that word propitiation means that he turned away. God's righteous wrath by fulfilling it in himself. You know, grace is when somebody who deserves punished gets good instead because somebody good was punished for them. And so when he poured that blood out, it was, it was a propitiation for our sins so that it could be washed away. He did all that in covenant. He hung on the cross. And we, he exchanged articles with us. He took our filthy rags and he clothed us with his righteousness, right? And we exchanged names because what are we called now? Children of God. What's our, are you a Christian? One of Christ's. That's what that means. So we exchanged names with him. And he set terms. If you read the New Testament, you can see the terms. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Those are the terms of the covenant that we have with God. And then we have a meal to celebrate. Who knows what our meal is? The Lord's Supper. It's communion. And in heaven, it'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. That'll be a big howdy-do on it. (laughs) That'll be so amazing. But God came down for that very purpose, to have fellowship with us. Not so that we have to wait Not so we have to just do it all together, but he wants that intimate one-on-one fellowship. He's saying, my son, my daughter, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It's so exciting. And in doing this and coming down in Jesus, coming down to cut this covenant with us so that we can have fellowship, so that he could calm down, because what happened when Jesus died? When he gave up his spirit, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And God said, finally, I can get out of this room. I've been in this room for thousands of years. He was grounded. (laughs) He grounded himself to the Holy of Holies so that he didn't kill us in our sin. And he's like, finally, I can get out and have fellowship with them. And he did it for us because what he said was, I know you. Actually, open, we'll read this in um, Psalm. I don't know, did I put that on there? Psalm 103. Sorry, Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. This is so cool. God is so amazing. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. And so when Jesus came, what he was saying was, you're human. I made you that way on purpose. (laughs) You're human, and you need me. I, you know, you need me to come into covenant with you. And everything I have and everything I am is yours. Because he knows that we're human. He knows that we could never have fulfilled that law. We could have never been perfect enough to have any kind of relationship with him. And so he sent his beautiful son to die on the cross, to open that door, to give us unhindered, continuous fellowship with the Father. And that is the strength of our relationship with God. It's not just our commitment to him, because our commitment to him is human. You know, I turned 41 this year, And on my birthday, I wrote a little nostalgic thing. I put it on Facebook. My thoughts on my 41st birthday. (laughs) And just things I've learned over the years. Some of them are no-brainers, but some of them it took me some pain to learn them. But one of the things that I learned was that I am not perfect. I will never be perfect. And I am the only one who expects me to be perfect. There is nobody else who would look at me and think she should be perfect but I always expected myself to be perfect. And so what God is doing is he's saying, you're human, I made you human, and I never expect you to be superhuman. (laughs) He made us human on purpose, and he likes us just the way we are, human, covered in his blood, but he likes us just the way we are as human. And he remembers how we're formed. So the strength of our relationship then comes in his commitment to us. And he is so committed to us that he sent his son to die on the cross to open that room, to rip that veil down so that he could come out and have unhindered fellowship with us. It's so amazing. I think about that, and I'm like, God, you are so amazing. And so sometimes, though, I think we get to to thinking like I did. Oh, no, now I have to be perfect. Okay, he washed me. Yeah, he made me righteous, Mm-hmm. and he, you know, I, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit now. I have to do it. I'm on my own. Here I go. Let's follow the yellow brick road and see if I can make it to the end. <laughs> but he knows that we're human, and so I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and that we let that keep us then from coming to God and he knows that i think it's just so free, it was so freeing to me to know he knows i'm a human being and that i'm going to sin and that i'm going to miss it and that's why he gave me his blood but he never ever 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 takes his presence away from me even when i miss it it's the bible says when i am faithless he is faithful still the bible says i can make my bed in hell and he will follow me there he's not afraid What he's doing is picking me up. And if you look in Isaiah, I think it's chapters 41, 42. I love to read Isaiah in the 40s because God shows off about himself. Have you ever read him? If you read Isaiah chapters 40 to 53 or so, God really tells a lot about himself. I am God. This is what I think. This is how I act. This is what I do. And this one is such a sweet picture to me, this one verse. He said, I am God. I'm the one who takes you by your right hand, and I'm going to help you. And it's just such a picture of a parent. Has anybody ever had a child learning to walk? Anybody, parents? Whose responsibility is it to make sure the child doesn't fall? Like if you're holding a baby, if you're holding a child, if you're trying to protect them, whose responsibility is it to make sure that the child's not falling out of your arms? Is it yours or is it the child's? If you're holding the six-month-old baby and it falls, you don't go, well, I guess you should have held on. Duh. What were you thinking? That's why you have arms. Hold on. No, we would look at a parent that did that and go, child abuser. (laughs) Not a good parent. Hello, children's services. Somebody call. And yet we we picture God just like that. Oh, I missed it. Now I can't come to him. Well, duh, he knows you're human. He's not up in heaven going, well, I guess if you weren't human, you wouldn't have fallen. Come on, be superhuman, but he's the one that takes us by the hand, and I think sometimes we mix up we try to compare some things in the natural to some things in the spirit, and that's a, that's an okay thing to do. but I think with growing up, I don't if we saw a sixty year old person that had never moved out from their mom and was just you know, not working and just living off of mom and dad and they're just lazy and whatever, whatever, we would be going, okay, honey, it's time to get out on your own. It's time to go do something. Grow up. But God never intends us to get to the point where we don't need him. He never intends us to get to the point where he's not holding our hand through this whole thing. Because when we get to the point where we think that we're doing okay, you know what that is? Because you're never doing okay. And I, I was thinking about it in this way. And it's, it's not exact replica, but, you know, there's, people can sing. Michael can sing. My daughter can sing. They have beautiful voices. I cannot sing. I do not have a lovely voice. I might sing later, and you'll see why I don't sing in public. <laughs> but did they give themselves that gift? No. Did they have anything to do with that gift? So how is it that some people that can sing look down on other people that can't sing? How is it that tall people think that they can make fun of short people? How is it that people with blue eyes think that they're better than people with brown eyes? You didn't give yourself the gift, correct? We can't do anything without God. I could not get up here and teach tonight if he hadn't first given me the gift if he hadn't opened my eyes and given me revelation, if he hadn't given me any unction to speak it out, if he hadn't put words in my mouth to say, if he hadn't washed me by his blood and given me access to the throne of God so that I could go before him and say, what do you want me to say tonight? And we get to this point where we think we're really something. Oh, we're really doing okay. We are, I'm really doing good because I didn't and I didn't and I did and I did. The only thing that he really wants you to do good at is going papa, papa. Because it's the presence of God that distinguishes us from all the other peoples of the earth. And we saw that last week, right? And so what we want to really make sure is that we're just stuck real, real close to the presence of God. And that we never just start thinking we're something. And we never just start thinking, I can do this myself. Oh, what were they thinking when they do that? You ever hear of somebody who maybe fell or made a mistake? How could they do that? But somebody's looking at you going, what are they thinking? I mean, everybody has something that they're working on. Say, I have something that I'm working on. I'm not perfect. I'm human, human. and God's okay with that. (laughs) So the strength of our relationship then is is in God's commitment to us, and he is so committed to us, and he so wanted that one-on-one fellowship with us that he sent his son to cut a covenant for us and to cover us in his blood. And my friend um, Cindy Black, she wrote a song years ago, but it's called um, When He Sees Me. It just says, when he sees me, he sees me in him. He no longer sees a sinner, an outcast, a beggar, or what I might have been. He sees me through the blood, the cross, and the resurrection. He sees me raised up, seated next to him in heaven. When he sees me, he sees me in him. And so this is what I want us to take away tonight. We have access we are with him always, and everything he has is ours because he cut that covenant in Jesus. He came down. This was one of the reasons that he came down. It's so awesome to study the ways and the times that God came down, and this one is especially dear to me. I love, I love the blood. I love the blood of Jesus because it gave me access. Hebrews 14, or 14. There is no Hebrews 14, is there? No. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Therefore, beloved, we can come boldly to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that gives us access to him. It's the blood that opened the door. But now that it's open, have you ever read Revelations 3, verse 20? Anybody have it memorized? Behold, I stand at the door of knock. You know, we... We use that a lot of times to call sinners, right? He's standing at the door and knocking. But do you know who he was talking to? The church. He was talking to a church. These folks were born again. The church at Laodicea. The, and if you look at the seven churches in Revelation, that was the most lascivious. That was the most. They didn't have one good thing said about them. Mostly, when Jesus wrote those letters to the churches, he gave an affirmation. He gave a correction. And then he gave a promise. But Laodicea got no affirmation. And he's just saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. (laughs) To the church, not to the sinner, to the church. And so we don't want him just standing at the door and knocking. We want him in. He said, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth, as long as you're in church. Once you leave church, you're out of luck, buddy. No, he wants this continually. And there's a book out there, it's called Practicing the Presence of the Lord. Has anybody heard of that? I went looking for mine today, and I think I it out. But it was these two guys that lived way back in what the eighteen hundred something, sixteen hundreds, and I mean it's really difficult to read because it's written in their language and the these and the thous and the those. But the gist of it was that they determined these two separate people didn't know each other at two separate times were determined to practice the presence of the Lord all day long, and it was their journal of practicing the presence of the Lord. And they would write, oh, "Okay, I t- two hours today. Okay, it was four hours today, and then I was distracted. Okay, it was six hours today, and then I had a, a fleshly thought. And okay, it was six and a half hours today." And they worked, and they did their jobs, and they used their minds, and they did natural things. But it was their whole heart's purpose and desire to spend all day long with Jesus what is going to distinguish us from all the other peoples on the earth because not everybody's going to walk in this sanctuary but if you take the presence of God with you into your workplace into that restaurant where you go to have coffee with the guys or the girls into the schools it's that presence of God on you and when you start hanging out in the presence of God like that every day all day then you start thinking like him, and you start talking like him, and you start walking like him, and then people are going to notice something really different about you, and then they're going to maybe want to come to your church. Something's going to draw them here, and it's going to be the presence of God, right? I mean, when – I'll just give you an example. I noticed, because I really purposed in my heart to do this lately. and Not perfect. I'm human. But um, I noticed – Every once in a while, I'll, be, I'll start thinking something about someone. Maybe my sister in law or maybe my friend. And then I'll go, Oh, they're such a masterpiece. Father, bless them today. Da, 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 and it takes two minutes. Oh, I'm going to text them and encourage them with that. Oh, I just prayed for you. You are such a masterpiece created by God, and He's holding you in your hand, His hands right now. Whatever you're going through, He's got your back. It doesn't take long. But when you're practicing the presence and you're walking real close with God like that, and you start thinking his thoughts, then you start blessing people. And you start doing good to people. And you start doing what he would do in the earth. Because you are him in the earth. I was, I, there's this lady, I'll close with this, I know it's getting late. There was, a, there's a lady, she's a missionary in America, Samoa. And her and her husband had moved over there, you years ago to pioneer a rhema bible training center there and three years ago her husband died very young and very suddenly and i've never met this lady face to face we're facebook friends because we're friends of friends and you know how that goes and so we're facebook friends and she's still carrying on the work but ever since her husband died i've kind of carried her in my heart and whenever god brings her to my mind i'll pray for her i'll pray for her kids and just you know god bless them be a father to them, be a husband to her, be a help to them, bring them whatever they need, give them strength, give them comfort, you know, whatever, whatever. And so I would just pray and move on. Well, a couple weeks ago I thought, you know what, I'm just going to email her. Just let her know I'm praying for her. So I did, I emailed her, I said, Patty, you've never met me face to face, we're Facebook friends, but I've never had a conversation with you, but I just want you to know that God loves you so much that 3,000 miles away, there's someone here that you've never even met that is praying for you. He's got your back. And it just opened up my eyes to see God God loves us so much. And there's so many things going on behind the scenes that we'll never, ever know about. And that day when you're down and your hands are hanging down and your knees are weak, you don't know that 3,000 miles away, God's given someone unction to lift you up and pray for you. Because they're walking close with God. It's such an intimate, intimate, intimate relationship that we can have with the creator of the universe. He's opened that door and said, come on in. I want you to come in. I'm knocking. Are you going to let me in? And so um, how many years ago did we hear Billy Brim? We were just married, so what, 15? This, This tiny little fireball preacher of a woman But she was talking about, She's the one who was talking about practicing the presence of the Lord. And she sang this song. And you can sing it in the morning, you can sing it at night. But just find this song, I sing it all the time. You know, off and on all the time, whenever the Lord brings it to my heart. But find a song that gets you in that mindset. It says, all day long, I'll be with Jesus all day long. My lips will utter praise. All day long, my heart, my soul, be lifted in worship. All day long, I will be with him. And if that's going around and around in your heart, then you're going to draw closer, and you're going to draw closer. And that peace that you were needing, it's just going to be there, and everything that you need is going to be there. And why? Because he is your reward. You know, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. When is the last time that you haven't wanted something? The newest iPad, maybe an iPhone, maybe a different car, maybe a different outfit. Maybe When's the last time we didn't want? This culture is so tied up in want. But he wants to be our reward. He wants to be enough. He wants to be all that we want. And then he lavishly gives you everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given unto you. And so I really want to challenge you with this this week. I want you to practice the presence of the Lord. I want you to just make it a purpose in your heart to keep focused on him. And when you're at work and it's just getting real frustrating and you forget, oh, Father, let the Holy Spirit remind us. No, he's in you. All wisdom and revelation lives on the inside of you. And you can start drawing on that and walk supernaturally. And the coworkers are going to go, well, how would you know that? I got a secret. You want to know my secret? <laughs> and it's that goodness and that presence and that love of God. Then that's going to draw them, amen. So there's two sides of the coin. God's going to come down and pour out His presence on those victimizers, but it, it's with us every day. He wants us to experience Him every day, every day, amen, amen. Can we have some kind of something? <laughs> Some something, something going on. (laughs) Some music. And um, let's just take a minute. I know we closed last week like this, but let's just take a minute before the Lord and just kind of commit our hearts then again to, to him, to practicing his presence. Father, if this was something that some of us are doing, then yay, let's do it more. You can never have as much of God as you can ever get. There's always more. More to know, more to see, more to have, more to love. But if we got distracted, then, Father, please just check our hearts, open our hearts. It's never condemning. It's always graceful, Father. It's always full of grace and full of mercy, and it's always you drawing us back to you, saying, I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to walk you through. Hallelujah. you tonight Father we choose you tonight Father we choose your presence daily help us to walk in it Lord Hallelujah Hallelujah you know I, I I have just something in my heart and maybe I'll just put this out there it might not even be for you maybe it's just something for me to pray later but you know God is the one that takes us by our right hand and he knows we're human, and he knows we're going to fall. But, um, you know, temptation is not sin. To be tempted is not sin. Did you know that? To sin is to sin. To give in to temptation, then that's sin. Jesus was tempted, right? But it can be so tiring to stand against temptation, Right? And what the enemy tries to do is to isolate us and say, well, I can't tell anybody I'm being tempted because then what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm dirty or they're going to think I'm sinful or they're going to think something terrible about me. But the trick of the enemy then is to isolate you. And in that isolation, there is no strength. There is no help temptation is not sin but it can be very tiring to stand against. And there are some that are standing against temptation whether it be an addiction, whether it be you want to quit smoking, whether it be pornography, whether it be eating, whether it be whatever it is, whether it be just that coworker that you just can't walk in love with. It's so and you it, there's such a drain when you're standing up against that temptation and you're all by yourself. So if that's you tonight and you're just feeling worn down because you're really struggling against this thing, then we want to pray with you. I mean, again, it might not be you. It might be just something the Lord's saying, let's pray for people who are dealing with this. But if there is someone here, I didn't want to let it go without saying, we will pray with you. We will stand with you. God has given us the body of Christ. There are pastors here that would love to help you be accountable. If you need an accountability partner, find someone. The leadership team, the pastoral staff, that's what they're here for. But don't just be isolated in your temptation. Don't let the enemy isolate you in your thoughts and isolate you in that temptation. Because there's no strength and there's no help in that isolation. God has given us each other to strengthen us and to help us. And so if that's you, you can come down. Or if you don't want to come down, if you're afraid of what people think, that's cool, if that's where you're at, find Pastor Michael, find Brother Bill, find Brother Mike Donatio, find one of these fine ushers that can pray with you and to help you, okay? Because God does not want you to stand up against anything by yourself. Ever. Amen? So Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence, Father. We are a people of your presence here and out there. Let your presence rest heavy on us this week. Father, let your presence be so real and tangible to us that we can share it with everyone we come into contact with. Because we want to make a difference for your kingdom, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. amen you All right, y'all are dismissed. Have a great week.